because it looks cool. Shut up. Welcome back. Your dreams were your ticket out. Welcome back to that same old place that you laughed about. Well, the names have all changed since you hung around, but those dreams have remained and they've turned around. Who'd have thought they'd lead ya? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Film Find. Yeah, I don't even remember the tagline for this show. <laughs> That's how long it's been since I've been gone. But uh, you know what? I decided we ought to come back uh, for this week. There is yet another Godzilla film in theaters, and I can't think of anybody who I would rather get on the internet and talk some Godzilla with than a repeat guest... I would call him, a, I, I, I'm going so far as to call him a Godzilla expert. Justin Mullis, welcome back to the Film Find with me, sir. <laughs> Happy to be back on what I believe your tagline was, the greatest movie podcast, assuming you've never heard a movie podcast before. Yeah, see, uh, even other people know it better than I do. <laughs> it's been so flipping long. <laughs> and of course, now, in my defense, I also have two other podcasts where they're where they have, uh, you know, catchphrases and stuff with everything. So I, I'm that's my excuse. It's not a good one, but it's the excuse that I'm going with. And we're about to start probably two more podcasts, but uh, we'll get into that later in the show and whatnot. Uh, but Justin, welcome back, my man. Happy to be back. We've got ourselves a uh, some interesting times here talking about Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Uh, do we know how well this thing did at the box office? Do we have any reports on that yet? Um, We do, actually. I, I was joking at that not that long ago. I believe it. Um, it is going to be the number one film for the weekend, um, uh, but it opened a little bit lower than well, what uh, Legendary was projecting and what they were hoping for. I think they were hoping for somewhere between 50 and like 55 mm -hmm. million opening, and they're getting like a 49 million opening, so it's a little bit softer than they expected. It's lower than what they did um, like uh, back in 2017 for Kong, and also lower than what they did five years ago for the 2014 Godzilla, so it's a little bit, a little bit softer. So, well, it's interesting too because you know, look, it, it went up against uh, you know Aladdin for its second week, which was still going strong, and you got Rocket Man and Ma. So there's a like there's new stuff out there that people are going to see, and and John Wick yeah. three still you know still kicking along you know halfway decent and everything. So there's there's options out there for people. That's I think that's the big thing is that you know there's a lot of stuff going on right now, and perhaps this may not have been the best time for them to drop this. <laughs> well, it wasn't their their original plan to drop this then, which I guess we can't get into. But um, yeah, that but yeah, no, there's there's a lot of competition for this movie right now. So a lot of different things vying for people's attention. So and I think we can also talk about exactly how appealing maybe this premise was for general audiences and whether or not it was a problem that they waited five years to have this one come out. But anyway, we can we can get into all of that. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into all that kind of good stuff. I do want to, uh, 
I, I do want to send a very special thank you to anyone who has still trickled what little bit of money that, that we're receiving at the Patreon for the film find. You are going to get that back uh, a, a lot fold because this is the uh, this is the start of me getting back on track with this again. And what I want to do is put out a lot of little mini reviews and stuff during the week. Uh, so you'll have a little bit of something and I can feel like, you know, because I haven't yet. I haven't touched that money. It's kind of sat in the little Patreon account there because I didn't feel right taking it <laughs> until I've actually started producing something. Uh, so, but just thank you to all those people, patreon.com slash the film find. I don't expect anyone else to go out there and give me anything right now. Cause frankly, I am not earning it. So do not give me any more money. I can't believe I'm saying that. Those are words coming out of my mouth saying, don't give me money, but don't do it until I start getting back a uh, regular that will, uh, force me to do so. Uh, so quick, what you've been watching. I saw a movie the other night that kind of just blew my socks off. Now, let me give you the premise of how this movie, how my, well, it wasn't my choosing, really, uh, how, of how this movie was chosen and how we watched it. So, at least a couple of times a month, uh, we'll do a thing over at VizArt Video in Charlotte where we'll show, like, you know, cult movies in the cave. So, in the back of this video store, the only video store in Charlotte, there's a screening room with about a 100-inch projection uh, front screen there and everything. And uh, we sit and watch, you know, cult movies and stuff like that. Not all kinds of, you know, crazy stuff. Uh, so they just started a kind of new thing that they called uh, VHS Potluck Night. So everyone brings a VHS tape, one of which they have never seen. They, you know, you just bought it at some point, but for one reason or another, you never got around to seeing it. And then uh, we they put a theme on it. Uh, this one was uh, 80s horror. And you kind of nominate your thing, say, hey, here's what I've got, here's who's in it, here's what it's kind of about and whatever, and then we see if anyone else in the room has seen it. And, you know, the more the less people that have actually seen something, the better. Uh, so but we did have a handful of things that no one had seen before, and this was not one that I voted for, but I'm glad the one that voted, that, that, that people did vote for and that we ended up watching uh, was from, I believe, 1989. It's a uh, it's it was released by Troma. That should tell you enough. Uh, but it's called Blades. Have you ever heard of this? I have not. I'm not a big Troma person, honestly. You so. sh well, this is not your regular. I'm not either. <clears throat> just to let right. you know, I'm that's not that's not my bag. There were like I knew those guys in film school who just loved Troma, and I'm just like, why it's garbage. Uh, but this is one that they clearly just bought and distributed because it's a little, right. it's a, it's above their quality grade, to be honest. Uh, it's available for free right now on YouTube, uh, so you can check it out for free. And frankly, I think that's the, the only way you can see it outside of the VHS that we watched. And it was great having that VHS because we had all the corny little trailers and stuff at the beginning like you had in VHS back in the day, which is fun. Uh, but Blades is a Jaws ripoff. And there are plenty of Jaws ripoffs out there. <clears throat> uh, you've got everything, obviously, from like your Piranha. That's that's I think that's the quickest and easiest one that everyone goes to, as well as like Orca and a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, Orca's my favorite. Or Orca's a good one. But this one I have never seen. This uh, it's a Jaws ripoff. Blades is a Jaws ripoff. Uh, essentially, what would Jaws be if it was on a golf course? <laughs> <laughs> so it doesn't take place in the sea it takes place on a golf course and the killer is a lawnmower 
And when I say that there are there there Jaws knockoff films out there, Italy's made a whole bunch, America's made some, and like you know there was just a ton of the car. There, there's there's a lot of these things out there, but I've never seen one that so blatantly says, "Hey, we're a Jaws ripoff, and we don't care." So much so that they are just recreating things from Jaws, going like, "How do we do this, but do it at a golf course?" The guy who runs the golf course is clearly the mayor of Amityville, even just down to like the suit, and he's constantly going, hey, look, these people are getting killed, but uh, we got to have this competition going on. Television, guys, we're going to be on television. And so he's pumping into it. You've got your Quint-like character who has a van, which has like a, you know, a crow's nest on top of it. There's uh, like, there's an Alex Kintner's mother scene. That's how much they are ripping this off. They just don't care. And it's so great because you can feel the audience because none of us had ever seen it before. We knew it was a Jaws ripoff, but we didn't know how blatant to where it is just like everything from like, you know, the push pull shot to them, oh, like them catching a lawnmower and then them going, that's not the real lawnmower. <laughs> Them going in and cutting open the bag on the lawnmower to see all the stuff spill out and see that there's no kid inside of it. It's insane. They just don't care. Instead of like... Was this meant to be a parody? It's 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 certainly funny. <laughs> but it is, it is the most blatant Jaws ripoff you'll ever see in your entire life. It is so much fun because every... Because Every second, you're just turning the corner, going, "All right, what, what, where are we in the plot of Jaws?" Because <laughs> that's the next thing that's going to happen here, and sure as hell, it happens every time. Uh, but I, I don't know that I could recommend this thing high enough. It is, it is so good, it is so corny and so stupid, but yet it feels like it was done lovingly. You know, this was a movie that says yeah. Jaws was great. We love Jaws. We're doing our own version of Jaws. We don't care how close it is to the original. Shut up. This is what we're doing. It's so good. <laughs> so uh, Blades, it's out there right now. It's on It's on YouTube for free. Uh, check it out. Uh, Justin, you got anything that you've been watching lately outside of the old King Kong or uh, Godzilla, rather? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you've been watching King Kong, too. That's just how you do. <laughs> that is how I do. So... Um, God, nothing really recently except I guess it's been long enough since I've been on this show that I could mention this. Um, so I, you know, I'll be honest here, which is that I was hoping that by the time I did this episode with you, I would have had time to finish watching the Ultraman series that's currently on Netflix, but I actually haven't because I've been so busy, um, which I really hate myself about. But in a similar vein, I would tell uh, people if you it's not on Netflix, but if you have a crunchy roll uh, last year, um, it was kind of an end of 2018, beginning of 2019 thing. So but end of 2018, uh, an anime series came out called uh, Gridman, which if you like kaiju stuff, I highly recommend Gridman. It's actually based on an old uh, Subaraya, which are the same people that make Ultraman uh, series from the early 90s. The original series was live action, but they redid it um, as an anime. So hmm. if uh, really good animation or just sort of anime is something that you're into, plus giant monsters, um, I definitely recommend Gridman. And I did a full uh, podcast about that show over at the site uh, Mazer Patrol. We recapped the whole original series, and then we talked about 
the new animated version of it. So uh, Gridman was great. So that's the most recent sort of offbeat thing that I've watched that I, I feel is worth telling people about. So very cool. All right, check that out, Gridman. All right, let's uh, let's jump into it because I think we're gonna have some stuff to talk about here. Here is the trailer for Godzilla: King of the Monsters. What we are witnessing here is the return of Titans. How many of these things are there? Seventeen and counting. That's messed up. <laughs> Mothra. Rodan. Ghidorah. Oh my. They're moving like a pack. They're hunting. They all respond directly to an alpha. We stop this Ghidorah. We stop them all. Is there another creature that might stand a chance against him? Godzilla free. Oh, yeah, sure. Let's bring him in for a beer. No, this time we join the fight. Run. Godzilla's world. We just live in it. Damn right. Alrighty, that was the trailer for Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Here's the IMDb plotline. Everybody knows IMDb always 100% correct in everything they say and or do. The cryptozoological agency monarch faces off against a battery of god-sized monsters, including the mighty Godzilla, who collides with Mothra Rodan and his ultimate nemesis, the three-headed king, Ghidorah. I always pronounce that wrong, so I just kind of gloss over it super fast. Uh, this is uh, directed by Michael Doherty, starring Kyle Chandler, Vera Farmiga, Millie Bobby Brown, Ken Watanabe, Zhang Ziyi, Bradley Wilford, uh, Sally Hawkins, Charles Dance, Thomas Middleditch, uh, Aisha Hands, Osei Jack, Jr., David Stratham, and more. Holy cow, this is a packed uh, uh, house over here. Uh, Justin, little did you know, uh, well, let me ask you this. Did you think coming into this interview that, uh, or this, uh, it's not an interview, I'm not interviewing you, we're reviewing something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, guess what, you've now made this movie. Uh, no, um, did you think that at the end of this that you'll want to actually spend more money on this movie again? Because I'm here to tell you right here and right now, by the end of this episode, you're going to want to uh, spend a lot more money on this movie again. 
because not only because not yeah and and i am going to have a i think i'm going to have an influence on, as to how you see this movie again because not only will i be reviewing godzilla i'm also going to be reviewing the 4dx experience for godzilla because i spent a little extra money and stuff and uh i i'll be honest with you i don't know if this is the um my enjoyment of the movie or if the experience itself was something that pushed stuff over the top. But man, oh man, I had a blast with this movie. What were your thoughts kind of just going in? I mean, obviously this was something that I'd been looking forward to for like five years. <laughs> um, it, it was, you know, and we can, um, it was something I've been looking forward to for a while. I was definitely more excited once I knew that you had um, Michael Dotery taking over as director. Um, because, uh, so for, for anybody that hasn't listened to our episode from way back in 2014, when we did the original Godzilla, um, you know, I, I had some problems with that movie and I feel really safe in saying now five years after the fact and after, um, the director of that film, Gareth Edwards went on to do also a star Wars movie, rogue one. And I saw what he kind of did with that film, um, of saying that I think a lot of my problems really lied with sort of gareth edwards direction hmm. on that first film um you know he is you know he's he's a director who kind of takes um sort of a a, a sort of a spielberg jaws s kind of approach to handling elements in, in his movies you know case in point so if you've seen rogue one he does this with darth vader where in that movie darth vader is sort of this presence that you feel throughout the entire film but it isn't literally into the last few minutes of the movie that you actually see Darth Vader and that's great because that movie wasn't called Star Wars Darth Vader it was called <laughs> Star Wars Rogue One he did the same thing in Godzilla however with Godzilla and that was a problem because that movie was called Godzilla um, <laughs> and so I wasn't really keen on the idea of Gareth Edwards coming back because having seen you know, all three of his films now with Godzilla, Rogue One, and then his debut, which was Monsters, which does something similar with the monsters in the movie. Um, you know, I I kind of got the impression that he, I don't know, maybe sort of was, I don't want to say like one trick pony necessarily, but, you know, he definitely had a particular style that I did not feel was something that I wanted to see revisited in a sequel. Yeah. Now, Dotery, on the other hand, I really like his, uh, I really like Trick or Treat. I like Krampus, his uh, previous two more sort of low-budget horror films. Um, he's been talking about – Dotary is a, a guy. He's been talking about doing a Godzilla movie since he was a writer on Superman Returns back in 2006. Um, and, I, and at one point, interestingly enough, he was trying to get a kaiju movie made at Disney back around 2008. Hmm. Um, and that ended up falling through for – for various reasons. It was going to be called Calling All Robots, and you can look it up on his official website. It looks the concept art looks amazing. It basically looks like it would have been Pacific Rim before Del Toro made that movie. Um, but anyway, um, I was really excited that Dotary came back on um, to sort of uh, handle directing duties after Edwards had to exit and things. Um, so, so I had, I had a lot of hype for this movie. I was trying to temper it, however, by the fact, and we, we talked about this when we did our Kong Skull Island thing, um, that, 
you know, trailers nowadays are really, really bad about giving away everything in the movie. Yeah, that's why I like whenever these trailers were on and stuff, eyes closed. I did not want to watch any. Most of it's just sound and music and stuff like that. But I was like, yeah. I don't want to see any of this. I don't care. Right. And I'm, I'm hearing some from some friends who did watch the trailers leading up to this, that they did really like ruin just about every sort of big moment in this movie. So I kind of tempered my enthusiasm by making a, a really firm effort to not watch trailers, not look at ads online to avoid about as much as possible. I read some interviews that ran in some film magazines with Dotary and stuff because, you know, there's only so much you can give away in print, especially if they're, you know, months before the movies actually come out. Um, you know, so, so I, I wanted to be tempered and everything. And I really think that that paid off because yeah, I mean, I went into this movie knowing very little about it, you know, not knowing obviously that it had Godzilla, Mothra, Ghidorah, Rodan, um, but not even really having a, a really firm idea of what the plot of the movie was going to be. Yeah, um, other than the fact that they were going to fight each other, and so you know, I came out really thoroughly delighted in this movie. I mean, I was I was impressed by the scope of it. I was impressed by the scale of it. I was impressed by the way that Dotary handled all of the monsters. Um, I found the story really easy to follow, which is something I guess we can get into more. I think there might be some, some reasons for that. Um, but anyway, yeah, you know, and, and, and overall I just, I really enjoyed it. Um, I did not see it in four, um, X like you did. I did go see it in Dolby. However, Dolby's um, a, that good, was Dolby's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, that was something I, I really wanted to do, and I thought that was great. You know, the colors were all really sharp, and they popped. And you know, that's I like I like the Dolby experience a little bit more than IMAX because you know I, the last couple IMAX movies I've seen, I haven't enjoyed it as much because it's almost like it's a little too big. And with some of these really like massive sort of films, like the sound quality isn't as good either, where it just becomes like so loud it kind of you know, you can't really pick up anything, but Dolby, I think, has a really nice balance. So, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I've seen a couple of uh, Dol Dolby stuff, and uh, it, it's usually been pretty good. My only complaint is, is the uh, the Dolby cinemas around uh, here have absolutely awful seats. I hate their seats; they're the worst. They just they suck so bad. All the seats at uh, at uh, Concord Mills and North Lake all suck. Those seats are terrible. Any other any other theater that you go to, the theaters recline like the the seats recline properly. They make you you know you you're comfortable, except for the 4DX where they do not. So let's talk about that. Yeah, because uh, I I actually I work for Regal, but yet I so I'm allowed to see uh now thankfully uh I, that's not thankfully that's not the word but uh, hey thanks Regal. Uh, we can only see two films a week now. It used to be just two films. We could see up to two movies a day. Now it's two a week. Thanks, Regal. Uh, but they uh, they won't let us go to the 4DX for free. <laughs> I went there once, and I was like, when Captain Marvel was out, I'm like, hey, I've already seen Captain Marvel, but I'd like to see this experience and see what it is and kind of, you know, since I've already seen the movie, I can look around the theater as things are going so I can kind of see the tech and see stuff going, you know? That's what I wanted to do. 
Uh, but they were like, no, you can't do that. It's gonna be you're gonna cause it's gonna cost twenty five bucks for the ticket. You pay it just like everyone else has. Our own employees here don't get to go see it. I'm like, wow, that's just that seems insane. So I'm like, well, I don't, if, if that's the case, I don't want to spend twenty five dollars to see Captain Marvel again. I'm gonna wait and pick and choose what I actually you know see. And I'd heard uh, from someone else they went to see the Aladdin in 4DX, had some really good things to say, and I was like, you know what? I've seen enough of the trailer for this Godzilla. I know we're going to get rain and lightning and, you know, the the chairs move and everything. Uh, so I'm sure that we're going to get enough of a different experience in this. So let me tell you what it kind of is. So they've, uh, they've taken out about every other row in a theater, and in front of those rows, by and large, sometimes there's... Uh, another row of seats, but usually there's like a uh, kind of a little console there that does all the stuff. So what 4DX is, is it's a 3D movie, usually. The chairs move. They go back and forth, very amusement park ride-esque. There are different elements that get involved, everything from rain to fog uh, to snow uh, to smells. I didn't get any smells, but I did talk to my brother who went to go see it afterwards after my recommendation and stuff. Apparently, I was not sitting in a row where smells were available. (laughs) Uh, But apparently, there were a couple of smells that were involved and stuff. Uh, Wind, temperature changes and stuff throughout. And I got to say this, I was absolutely blown away. Um, It's... When it starts out, things are subtle. It's just kind of a little bit of moving here and there. You know, obviously, when you hear the uh, you know Godzilla stomps there at the beginning with the legendary logo and the Warner Brothers logo and everything, you know, the seat moves, and it's kind of like an introduction just going like, oh, okay, this is going to be interesting. Uh, but it's, it's hardly overkill. It's not happening to you all the time, so it's not like it's beating you up for two hours and then you're just exhausted. Uh, the, the calm scenes are calm, but the action scenes, you do move uh, when they kind of want you to look in on something. You know, you're examining something closer. Your seat moves up and in a little bit, so it feels like you're leaning into all this. If they want you to uh, see... See the glory of something. If we're panning up to Godzilla and whatnot, leans your chair back and everything. So you combine that with the 3D and everything, there's a real sense of movement and scale and stuff that's very, very different. Something I certainly didn't expect. Uh, like different uh, panning shots and uh, crane shots, they kind of move you along, and it certainly gives the feeling of movement and stuff. And with all the other elements and things that happen, like it's a hell of an experience, but sometimes... Sometimes the thing does toss you around a bit. I'm a big dude, and this thing just kind of jostled me back and forth a little bit. But I'll I'll say this. It took the experience of watching a movie up to another level. You certainly don't want to do this with every film that you're going to see. But there are movies like this, like Godzilla King of the Monsters, that really are, I think it's absolutely worth the money that's doing it. And... I think everyone needs to have this experience. You may not like it necessarily. Uh, I think a lot of people will. I haven't talked to anyone who you know talks negatively about it. Uh, but I think everyone needs to do it one at least once because it's a hell of a theater experience. And and Godzilla: King of the Monsters is definitely one to do it.
I mean, yeah, that sounds really. Um, it's insane. I might, I might have to look into that. So <laughs> it's it, it's it's really cool. It's really different. Now, I will say this: I can't speak for other films, but at least with Godzilla, if you wanted to, you know, have a drink and a popcorn, by the time that the movie gets to the point where it's throwing you around enough, uh, you'll probably have finished enough of those to where it's not going to fly out of your, you know, <laughs> hands or anything like that. Uh, but it's great. It's 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 certainly something. Um, I think the next movie I'm going to go see like this will be that uh, the new Fast and Furious, uh, you know, uh, spinoff. Because again, no, that's Sean, like, Sean and Hobbs. Yeah, yeah. So with that, you know, going back and forth, and I know one of the smells is burning rubber. So uh, I'm like, <laughs> hell yeah, let's do that. Uh, so, but yes, I would definitely recommend the 4DX experience. I think there's only. I think there's under 50 of these theaters in the United States, so there's not a ton of them out there, but if you do have one in your area uh, that's within a reasonable driving distance, do it. It's a it's a hell of a time and an experience that, uh, while expensive, like I said, about 25 bucks for a ticket, uh, seriously worth it. Worth it because it's, it's unlike anything that you've ever done before. And I, I can't believe how highly I'm recommending it. I thought it would just be like, oh, it's kind of fun and stuff, but, you know, the novelty wears off quick. Not really. Not really. But I I was stoked. So uh, go, go see 4DX. Okay, so... With that said, like, uh, how how do you want to get into it? What what are the what are some of the points? Because I I know you got thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, we could just start by um, I mean, if you just want to, we just kind of want to. I mean, we could talk about what the plot of the movie is. I mean, we just yeah. start simple like that. So, because I I mean, I feel that this is um, so so like I said, I mean, the story. So if you haven't seen this movie, or maybe if you have, um. You know, so the the plot of this movie is is I I found it pretty easy to follow. It's pretty simple, which is that basically this picks up in real time. It's about five years since the event of the 2014 uh, Godzilla movie. Uh, we actually start with a little bit of a flashback um, to the events of the the 2014 film, the very end. But basically, it revolves around this one family, the Russells, um, which are made up out of. Uh, the dad, Mark Russell, who's played by Kyle Chandler, and the mom, Emma Russell, who's played by Vera Farmiga, and then their daughter, who's 12 years old, who is Madison, uh, who's played by Millie Bobby Brown of Stranger Things fame. And the her parents are both scientists, and the dad, Mark, apparently invented a machine called the Orca that basically allows you to communicate with animals. Um, and... But after the events of, of the 2014 Godzilla, during which apparently their their uh, son, um, so uh, Madison's brother, was killed, um, the parents went through a divorce. They separated. Um, Mark went off to go photograph wild animals. He he hates Godzilla. He hates the other kaiju or titans, as they're called in this movie, uh, just wants to see them all killed and done with. Um but the the mom has taken uh, Madison, taken her daughter, and without her husband's knowledge, apparently also his machine, the orca, and is now trying to use it to communicate with the different um, monsters. And so the film actually sort of opens with her and Madison with a group of monarch agents in China um, as they witness the birth of Mothra, right, out of her egg in larva form as a big caterpillar trying to communicate with her, um, at which point 
the uh, the monarch headquarters are ambushed, and Emma and Madison are are apparently kidnapped by this guy uh, Colonel Jonah, who's played by Charles Dance or uh, Tyrion or Tyrion Tywin, sorry Tywin Lannister of Game of Thrones, who is a part of a sort of eco terrorist group, um, who apparently want to free all of the different. Uh, monsters that are that monarch are kind of keeping confined or imprisoned um, and use them to basically wipe mankind off the face of the earth um, so that we can prevent global warming or what have you uh, and that's that's sort of basically your setup and then there's a bunch of other characters uh, Ken Watanabe's character Ashiro Serizawa from the last movie who's sort of I guess the leader of Monarch they're still not very clear on what the hierarchy of that organization he's just is. a guy who works there he's like he's yeah. the janitor <laughs> just... I mean, everybody sort of listens to him so but yeah Watanabe's back um, he's Sally old Hawkins. and serious pay attention to him <laughs> yeah Sally Sally Hawkins as as his assistant Dr. Graham she's back um, and then you've got a couple other sort of supporting uh, scientist characters who sort of uh, pop in and out there. Uh, Zhang Zi from Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, who, by the way, does not look like she's aged a day since Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon <laughs> um, back in the 2000s. Uh, she shows up as a, as a kind of monarch's like resident mythology expert. Um, Tom Middlemitch is there as sort of a, a government liaison. Um, and you've got... Uh, Bradley Whitford, um, who is playing this character who my impression of him in the movie was that he was kind of trying to go for sort of like Charlie Day's character in Pacific Rim, this sort of, you know, kind of awkward, nerdy uh, scientist kind of guy, though apparently um, I've subsequently learned that Dotary actually based him off of uh, the character of Rick from Rick and Morty. So that's why he has like the blue, like shirt under the lab coat and like the stark white hair that's kind of spiked up so um wow. yeah <laughs> and then you've also got a bunch of soldiers uh one of whom is played by ice cubes kid so yeah i mean uh i i i thought he was more of a uh old uh what, what's his uh, uh jake johnson uh in, in uh, jurassic world kind of thing that's the more vibe i got Okay. All right. From from Whitford's character. Or? Yeah. It just because yeah, yeah. let's that's the the guy in the office who just can't kind of shut up. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I get that. Uh. But really, Rick and Morty. Hmm. What a. Huh, yeah. Apparently. Apparently, Dotery had him drink a lot on set too. So. Well, I, <laughs> I I don't know if that was him so much as it was just Bradley Whitford just saying, "Hey, it's Monday, everybody. Time for a drink." <laughs> But uh, yeah, I mean that's that's basically like the setup of the movie, right there. Um, you know, and then I guess I would say that from from this point on, if we keep going into the plot, just in, for anybody for some reason who's listening to this who hasn't seen it, uh, spoilers. So, because because there is at least there is one plot twist in here, and I'm curious of when I'll, I'll get to that in a second. I'm curious what you thought of that, Adam, because I I wonder if that took you by surprise. Monsters um, be fighting, y'all know how it is. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so basically it's um, so to, so to further the plot, essentially what starts happening is, yeah, so we see um, Via Fermerga's character and Millie Bobby Brown being uh, told around by dance, you know, being made to wake up all of these monsters. And one of the first monsters that they go and they they wake up after Mothra is um, is a 
what they call it Monster Zero in the movie, and there's a reason for that. Um, but it, it's King Ghidorah, and uh, it's at this point in the film where we learn that this is the big twist, which is that um, uh, Emma, uh, Doctor Russell here, she she is not actually she is not actually have been kidnapped by uh, by Colonel Jonah. She's actually working with him. Uh, yeah. Did you see that coming? I mean, like for me, I. I, I just I, I saw her as kind of off the chain from the get of go, uh, okay. Because I to me I, that wasn't overly surprising to me because it just seemed like she was nuts, um, right? And and it did seem this is a very um, this is a movie that does have a message, and you know whether or not you know they execute that message well or ham handedly could be certainly argued, uh. But for me, the biggest thing with her is just like I, I just wanted to go. Does anyone else just think this lady's nuts? Yeah, I, I like Kyle Chandler's character is the one that's correct. Let's kill all these things. Oh, oh, I'm sure the loveliness and the you know getting back to the world and yada yada yada. That's all great and grand. You know what? That also comes at the expense of us. <laughs> us. We we die. I like it's a really weird you know. Uh, nature hippie suicide mission it just goes hey like i I don't know it's an overall weird thought for me i understand the idea of it let's just say you know let's bring it into the real world or whatever uh i understand the idea of it we all want you know uh to make the environment a better place and you know all the you know all the crap you know (laughs) all the standard stuff uh but rarely do those uh solutions come at the cost of human life and that certainly seems you know something that they certainly do not care about and i thought it just very odd and strange and weird that uh you know this woman who's you know has a child and is talking to the child quite a lot just going hey uh we're gonna get all these things and and like does we're going to die eventually ever come up i i wonder it's I don't know I just thought it very strange. She's she's definitely kind of playing from the same sort of like, you know, save the world handbook as like Thanos, right? Yeah, it's very Thanos um, Thanosian as yeah. it were. <laughs> the, but I I would kind of agree with you, and I I do believe that you could make this argument because I would say that you know, I feel I I feel that in terms of like the overall kind of message of this movie. I sort of feel like the the environmental stuff was really kind of being used just more as like plot fodder in the way that you get in a lot of science fiction films where it's like we take an idea from science, something that's being discussed, and we kind of just, you know, throw those ideas out there to kind of make it work without really sort of considering the ramifications behind them or the science or the reason for them because like they're really kind of playing on – on you know what has been sort of a, a discourse amongst like ecologists, environmentalists for the last you know decade or so about what some are calling like the sixth extinction, right? That we are working our way into what's going to be, um, you know, a massive die-off of life on the planet, tantamount to you know like the end of the dinosaurs. Yeah. Um, but it's going to be it's going to be man-made rather than because like a meteorite fell from the sky. And this movie is sort of playing with those ideas without, I think, taking them seriously. And if they are trying to take them seriously, then like you said, they're going about it in a very sort of ham-handed manner. Um, because because while, while I get where her character is coming from, 
going back to sort of that Thanos analogy, I don't I don't think it works as well because like with Thanos, you got the idea like when he starts talking about how like 50 percent of all life needs to be wiped out so as you can achieve a new sort of equilibrium. And he's coming from the place that he saw basically his own people on his own planet wipe themselves out because they refuse to take these kinds of precautions like you might not agree with him, but you get where he's coming from. Yeah. Whereas I feel like with her character, it's like, well, she had her son die. And apparently as sort of a, um, as sort of a, a friendly fire as the result of like Godzilla's battle with the Mutos in San Francisco. And that one death of her other child doesn't really seem like it gives her or, or, or doesn't seem like the sort of thing that would put somebody in the headspace where they're going, you know what? We just need to wipe out a lot of the rest of humanity. She's Unless in the Kyle Chandler are... category at that point going, we need to right. kill these things because, because revenge goes to your hearts. It's just it's it's innate in human yeah. beings, you know? Right. Unless, like I said, unless you're just trying to go for the idea that she's just sort of mentally unstable, but I don't think that that's what they're going for. They're going for that you're supposed to kind of understand her reasoning and her motivation. And I would argue that in terms of the overall plot of this movie, that may be its weakest element in that, you know, I don't really understand why, why she would think we need to go here given what the background is. And I, I almost feel like it would make more sense if you just cut out the um the the dead child subplot altogether and you just had her be some sort of radical you know environmentalist like charles dance's character you know because i mean dance makes more sense you know i mean the little bit that you find out about him you know he was like a career soldier you know and everything and he says that at one point he goes you know i fought in wars all around the world human nature is never going to get better it's only going to get worse and yeah. it's like i get him i understand why you're doing this charles dance i don't really understand why you're doing this Vera, you know, so yeah, it, it, that was it is a of, strange that was, that was one. one problem that I had. Yeah, you don't necessarily need her. And I, th I think the uh, the reason that she I, I, this is the only thing I can guess is the reason that, you know, it, it's her is that we can have, you know, her and 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 the uh, the the Madison character there go through all this stuff and be able to relate it back to uh, Kyle Chandler's character, because that's how you get everything in there. The kind of thing as opposed to like. Yeah, she could just be like the both of those two could be completely gone. We just have Charles Dance in there just being, you know, mustache twirling military bad guy and that'd be it, you know? And it, it'd be fine. You wouldn't you wouldn't question things then. It does yeah. it's it seems like I, I know why they did it. I don't know that that was necessarily the best option for it. Especially with her being kind of like like we like we said, like a, a willing participant in all of this and not something that's just like, hey, you're being forced against your will uh, to do all this, you know, crap that I want to do in order to achieve my goal. No, no, you're you're for that goal, too, which is strange. Right, right. You know, and she gets and that's the whole thing is it's like, you know, it's not it's not clear that she's made what her plans are clear to her daughter. Yeah, that's another thing. Yeah, not not evidently yeah. clear. <laughs> Because like she's dragging, she's dragging uh, uh, Maddie around with her, Millie Bobby Brown's character. She's dragging her daughter around with her, and you know it's like her daughter seems to have some idea about what's going on, but not exactly. And then of course her daughter sort of turns against her later on in the film, and then you know 
little Vera on the nose. Vera doesn't want her daughter dead, so then she kind of turns on them and, you know, kind of has this sort of redemption arc towards the end. Yeah, a little on the nose with the, uh, you're the monster. I'm like, oh, come on now. We didn't need all of that. You could have just, we all could have just thought it. You didn't have yeah. to. You didn't have to telegraph that, dude. Oh, that seemed a little uh, studio noty, if you will. I don't know. I I feel I feel like you know this movie. You know, one of the weird things that this movie and the 2014 film have in common, and this is a, a generic thing throughout Hollywood, is that you know there's always this this big thing about you know kind of anchoring these sort of big sci-fi or, or disaster movies around this idea of kind of the classic, you know, heteronormative, you know, white middle-class family, you know, you got the parents, the two parents, the mom, the dad, and the kid, you know, and there's one or two kids or something like that. You know, I mean, you see this constantly and they, they did this in the 2014 film as well. Um, and I think that it's, I think overall it's handled better in the, in this film than it is in the 2014 film where in the 2014 film, it was just about, you know, Aaron Taylor Johnson, you know, getting on the phone with his wife and for some reason, stupidly telling her not to leave the city where the giant monsters are headed because daddy's on his way and her just sort of sitting on a phone crying a waste of Elizabeth Olsen. Um, you know, but, but it's, it's overall, it feels sort of unnecessary. Like it doesn't, none of that really needs, needs to be here um overall you know and 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 again i i kind of feel like you know we can go back to the other film in the same series kong skull island i feel like jordan vaught roberts kind of did that better with the human characters in so far as you know he didn't really bother with any of that he literally had the characters be a bunch of you know soldiers and scientists who are on a mission and i feel like you know we could have lost sort of the that 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 Russell family and focused on this very large supporting cast of of characters we have working for Monarch and that would have been fine to a large extent. Yeah, it's ultimately something that uh, I think save for tying into the first movie is not something that's necessarily wholly needed. Yeah. I mean, because I'm and, sure that I, that's where the people will just go like, oh, I remember the other film. This is a new film with those people in it again. But, you know, I don't even think people really care like that, especially for movies like this. Yeah. So, I mean, really, the only character I think from the first film that anybody wanted to see come back was uh, Ken Watanabe's character. Yeah. So and they, and they did the right thing, bringing him back. Um and we can get more into his character in a minute. One one other point while we're still on sort of like the, the Russells, though, is because uh, I know you've, you watch Stranger Things, Adam. Uh, yeah. What did you think of Millie Bobby Brown's performance in this? I thought it was fine. Um, I, I don't know that uh, we've given her a whole heck of a lot to do. I'm not a thousand percent sold on her yet. I'm close. I'm close. Mm. Uh, I, I think she does a good job. I want to see... Not only between like you know Stranger Things and this, but Stranger Things is a different ball of wax. I understand from how the characters developed and all that jazz, but nevertheless, um, I want to see a little more from her someplace. I feel like I've kind of been getting somewhat of the same performance from from her throughout a whole bunch of things. I'd like to see something. I don't know that I've ever seen this kid have a lot of fun. Like ever, I know this is not uh, the movie to have fun in. That's, I guess that's just <laughs> more of a right. uh, just a statement in and of itself. Um, 
She's good, but I, again, it's it's one of those things. I, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, I, we we don't need you know her or her mom in this really develop or Kyle Chandler for that matter for this thing to make any damn sense at all. I really feel to a large extent like she's in this movie for for reasons similar to why Brian Cranston was in the 2014 film, yeah. which was that he is a name who was is an incredibly popular TV series, which you know in, increasingly nowadays. I mean, I don't even know if increasingly is the right word. It's just a matter of fact. I mean, Hollywood's biggest competition now is television. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so so they are basically going, you know, she's a really popular actor from a TV series, you know, and if we put her in this movie, then, um, you know, maybe we can get some sort of crossover where all of the people who are fans of hers from Stranger Things follow her into this. And... You know, I I don't know, you know, again, kind of going by box office numbers, how well that strategy has really been working, because, I mean, they have sold this movie basically as being a Godzilla movie and about seeing these monsters. But they've also really sold the fact that she's in it. I mean, out of out of a, a very large cast of very recognizable actors, she's really the only one who I think they've really focused on in any of the advertising from what I've seen. So mm-hmm. and people definitely know she's in it because, I mean, the night. I saw this, well, I saw it in the afternoon, but the night of the day I saw this movie, you know, I was walking to a restaurant with my girlfriend and, you know, I was wearing, of course, my Godzilla shirt and somebody stopped me on the street and they said, oh, is that movie out? And I said, yeah, it came out today. And they were like, how's Eleven in it? And that was their first question. <laughs> and it even, it took, actually took me and my girlfriend a minute to figure out what they were talking Who's about. Who's that again? And I oh, remembered, oh, wait. <laughs> yeah. Eleven from Stranger Things. So you know, because, yeah, we refer to her as a number. Um, but, you are yeah, not a person. You know, so, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, yeah I, yeah, I feel like that's really why she's in this movie is kind of for, like, the, the draw. But I, I do agree that ultimately, like, this family is sort of, you know, unnecessary, you know, I mean, at, at, at worst, um, superfluous at best, you know, so. Yeah, and, and the thing is, is like, I, I don't know that right now, them, at, at this stage in her career, uh, that this is, that they should be relying on her. And, and, and again, I'm not taking away from things that she's done, but when you watch that show, you just don't go, oh, that's the, you know, that's the character I, I'm super drawn to. We're, we're interested by the character, but nobody says Eleven is my favorite character from Stranger Things. You know? Oh, I don't know. I think there's probably a lot of people who she is their favorite character in that show. But I get what you're saying because also as someone who's a fan of that show, I mean, I feel that you know what makes that show as good as it is and works is like the entire ensemble mm-hmm. and like the people behind the scenes with the Duffer brothers and everything. It's not, this is, it is not by any means the Millie Bobby Brown show. Yeah. And by the way, if you think that, uh, that 11 is better than Dustin, you go ahead and email me at the film find at gmail.com. I'd like to hear your reasoning. I just don't know that I could, <laughs> I could figure one out, but that's to me, that's like, you know, they're, they're, again, I, I just don't know that, uh, she's that bankable, you know, name yet. It's like, we know, we all know what we're going to get when we go see a Hugh Jackman film. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. This is not this is not that or anything. I I don't know. It's like she just doesn't have that cachet yet. Because and God bless her, she's only been in you know what three se- seasons of television, a handful of other things. Uh, she's not Tom Cruise. 
Yeah. So, so I mean, and and I don't know, but but yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Her casting is the Brian Cranston casting from the first film. Difference being though, is Brian Cranston fucking killed it in that Godzilla movie. He did. He should have he been was, in the whole. Thing. He was so good that it was just like, oh, this 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 should have been his story, and Aaron Taylor Johnson can go take a hike. Yeah. Well, he did. He did a lot of walking in that movie. Oh, there's a lot of walking and a lot of nothing going on. But you yeah, know what yeah. we get in this movie? Some motherfucking monster fights, and it, they're great. Yes. So, so because th- that's so that's the very next thing. Because so, um, so after the big plot twist where we find out that Vera Farmiga's character is actually working with the bad guys, you know, so the first thing they do is they wake up uh, Ghidorah, who is frozen in the ice, um, and. Uh, and of course, as soon as they wake up Ghidorah, um, Godzilla, you know, who is who is sleeping somewhere in the bottom of the ocean, just in, in classic like Toho movie style, wakes up and just makes a beeline for Antarctica because he's just like, oh, no, that's not going to do so. <laughs> and um, and and this this is because and this is jumping ahead a little bit story wise, but we don't have to necessarily do this in order. Yeah. It's because, you know. The, the central mistake that we find out the villains have made in this film is, of course, they presume that Ghidorah is just another one of these monsters from Earth, like Godzilla and Mothra and Rodan and the rest of them. And, of course, um, it's eventually revealed by uh, Zhang Zi's character uh, through her like mythology research that actually, no, Ghidra is not from Earth. Ghidra is from outer space. He, uh, which is again <laughs> keeping in the classic sort of Toho movie lore of that character. He's from outer space. And he's basically an invasive species, and he is not interested in bringing balance to the planet like Godzilla. He's interested in just destroying every last thing on it. So, um, so yeah, but yeah, that gives us our first our first fight. And I'll also just say that I was surprised by that because I was really expecting them to save Godzilla versus Ghidra for the climax of the movie alone. I was not expecting that pretty early on in this movie we get this initial showdown at Antarctica. So Yeah, and like let me tell you, it is uh it's something else to have that scene and stuff where there's snow falling on you and <laughs> there's fog and stuff with all the things going on uh being jostled back and forth in your seat. Boy, does it turn the experience of this thing up to eleven, and makes what are what what I would think would be normally uh, just very entertaining fights an experience. So uh, yeah, I know. I mean, yeah, you're definitely selling me on that. Like, I really I'm think telling I you, it's you. You have I got out of that thing, and I'm gonna be like, oh, this poor bastard's gonna have to plunk down twenty five bucks because this thing <laughs> is good. <laughs> And um and I mean they do a really really good job in this movie, um, with with the overall you know working of these monsters you know there was, you know there was some concern I know in like the fan community early on about how far they were going to go in like redesigning um, a lot of these creatures but they stayed really faithful to sort of like the classic designs of them I mean Ghidra looks like Ghidra Godzilla looks like Godzilla Rodan and Mothra look like themselves you know they've yeah. just you know they they've you know they're they're clearly all done in CGI though though Dotori did get motion capture actors for Ghidra, Godzilla, and Rodan. Huh. So there is a little bit of that um, uh, pseudomation kind of quality there in the way that he did them because he did choose to have some motion capture work done for them. So um, 
he actually he actually cast three different actors for Ghidra because he wanted to try and sort of telegraph yeah. that idea that the three heads were independent of one another. And I and, and I thought that came out really well and I liked that. And that was something that I think has played really well to people who have seen this movie too. Cause I love the little sort of tidbits where, you know, you have like, you know, the, the center head is clearly the one that's kind of like in charge, but the other two heads and they even, they even make the joke at one point in the movie cause they call them like, uh, um, was it Mo, Larry and Curly. So mm-hmm. like the three stooges. And you sort of see that because there's those little scenes where like one of the heads is kind of like looking off at something else and the other head will have to like grab it by the horn and, and like yank its attention back. It's like, no, no, over here, idiot. Huh? You know, oh, so. all right. I got it. <laughs> yeah. So I really I enjoyed those little touches. Um, there's a lot of nice little stuff in there that I liked with them, you know. And yeah, I mean, the fight scenes in this movie, which are really what the film is, is sort of sold on and premised around are just fantastic. And it's, it's that, that's the thing. It's like, if you were disappointed by the fact that the 2014 film did not have enough monster action in Which it, it didn't, um, <laughs> it didn't No, this is true. Um, it did not, this film more than makes up for that. Um, there is so much on screen monster stuff going on in this movie and it is all so well done. Um, that it's just, you know, it, it's, yeah, it's great. I, I I could have one complaint about it, and it's a very tiny one because I, I understand that it's a directorial preference. And maybe the thing more for me is that I, I feel like more people need to realize it's a directorial preference because I'm seeing some people complain about the fact that all the monster fights take place either at night or in rain or in snow, like you were saying. Mm-hmm. And there are people who are going that this is because, like, the CGI in the movie isn't very good. This movie costs two hundred million dollars. This CGI is industry standard. Yeah, like there is nothing wrong with the special effects in this movie. Um, if they wanted it to be during the daylight, they could have. There have been plenty of giant monster movies made in the last like almost ten years now that take place in the day. I mean, there's li- I was about to say Rampage was in the day and like, there's a whole bunch of these things. So it's not like it's Pacific it's, Rim uprising is in the day. Yeah. You know, like Shin Godzilla, which is a Japanese film where they don't even have the budget of a Hollywood movie is partly in the day, partly at night. It's just totally what a director yeah. wants to it's do. It's so bright yeah. during some of those scenes. It's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. You know, like it's, I mean, Del Toro wanted to set the original Pacific Rim at night and in the rain, too. It's just, you know, for some reason, that's what some directors want to do. I don't, you know, I would like to see a Godzilla fight in daylight. And hopefully with next year's Godzilla versus Kong, which I know we're going to have to talk about a little bit. um, There will be some shots of Godzilla in the daylight. Hopefully Adam Winger will give us that since uh, Jordan Vaught Roberts saw fit to have pretty much all of Kong in the daylight. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and um, here's the thing. You know why they do it? Because it looks cool. It looks super yeah. cool. And, and, like, it adds more dimension and more stuff is going on. It looks cooler. That's why it's done, because it looks cool. Shut up. <laughs> yeah. It's certainly not easier. It's certainly not cheaper to put something in the rain. I'm sure if they're trying to save like, money on pixels, like, you know, all those rain pixels have to cost you a pretty penny. And so. it's not like they're all just going down. They're bouncing off of things and stuff. That's it. That's more work, people. It's yeah. more work. It's it's not cheaper and quicker. It's more work, no. but it looks cool. 
It looks, yeah, I think I think it looks fine. And, and that I love first specific how, rim with all know, the they, rain and everything, I wouldn't have that movie any other way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, you know, and you get, um, yeah, so you get that initial fight in, in Antarctica, um, which is, is sort of a, a, sort of a draw. Ghidra kind of ends up beating a retreat before they can really settle that fight. We move on to Mexico where Rodan comes out of a volcano cause they go to wake up, uh, Rodan. And, and I want to talk a little bit about that scene because I really like the whole, Rodan sequence because first of all you get some really really great destruction and if you've ever seen um, the original uh, 1956 Rodan film from Toho they literally take shots from that movie and update them for 2019 the shot where <laughs> you have like uh, um, Ice Cube's son's character or like like holding on to the kid while holding on to like the column of that building because he's getting blown away because Rodan when he flies creates like these hurricane force winds and stuff um, that scenes directly a replication of a shot from the 56 film the scenes of Rodan like flying over and buildings just kind of like collapsing on themselves because of the shock wave of him flapping his wings is stuff that was in the 56 film hmm. that that whole sequence is just like a really fantastic updating of that original Rodan movie plus all kinds of like new stuff that we've never gone to see before because you know with the the, the limitations of sort of traditional like Japanese special effects technology when Rodan flies there was only like so much you can do but in this movie I mean that whole sequence where he's taking on like the fighter jets and he's doing that like cool kind of like death roll sort of thing mm -hmm. with his wings like all of that stuff was great so yeah it's I, I, I want to know I want to know if that shot because that was um, the shot where the guy tries to eject from his jet and he flies up into Rodan's mouth. Oh, that was awesome. Oh, that would, was so like, cool that they had the guts to do that. And like, cause it doesn't yeah. feel like that's something Hollywood would necessarily do. Like, Ooh, that seems like it might be a little bit graphic. No, that was bitching. They did that. And I went like, Oh shit. Like out loud. I couldn't. And, and, um, interestingly enough, I've, I've subsequently read an article with Dotary. So you said that's not something Hollywood would do. He actually says that Hollywood did not have a problem with that. He got pushback from Toho on that. Oh, they wow. did not necessarily want Rodan to eat a person <laughs> seeing as he was supposed to be one of the good monsters. And Dotary said he fought them for that. He was like, no, let him eat a person. It's going to be really cool. Yeah, so. but it is cool. It's like, I, yeah. you, you get it, but like, it is just one of those things where you're like, oh, that happened. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was great. So. And, and and that works well, too, because like what they do with Rodan in this movie is that, you know, he he's sort of in this interesting place because like Ghidra is clearly our villain as far as the monsters go. And Godzilla and Mothra are our good guys. Like there's no questioning like their alignment. But Rodan kind of is like I know Dotary's described him in some interviews as kind of being like a wild card. And, and he sort of is because he's very much one of those characters where you're not quite sure whose side he's on because he does kind like he, he tries to fight Ghidra initially and then he gets his ass whooped. And so then he kind of like starts kowtowing to Ghidra a little bit um, until like the end of the movie. So when he like kind of goes back onto Godzilla's side. So, 
like he he that that there's I I like that ambivalence there like yeah. you don't know what he's gonna do so. Now let's get to uh, <clears throat> let's get to the uh, there, there's actually a post credit sequence here for everybody. We'll get to this and mm. then we'll talk about the where, where we're going after this movie. Uh, but I think a lot of people, perhaps myself included, I've got guesses. Uh, but so Charles Dance walks into this room. And we've got we've we realize that they've recovered a severed head. So, kind of, what are your impressions as to what all this is about? Yeah. So the yeah. So the post credit scene, right? They have one of Ghidra's heads, right? So after yeah, the you know climax of the movie, Godzilla and and all the monsters fight in Boston, which surprised me. I was not expecting Boston to be the city they wrecked. <laughs> yeah. Um, I honestly, I had my money on Cleveland, and it's because. Dotary is from Ohio, and all of his his past two films, Trick or Treat and Krampus, have been set in Ohio. Huh. So I just thought he would naturally wreck a city in Ohio, but I guess he chose Boston. Couldn't um, get it but anyway, yeah, they fight in Boston. Godzilla, you know, kills uh, Ghidra um, in in like one of the most badass ways too. So I I want to talk about that real quick actually before we talk about the post credit yeah. scene because I don't know if you know what that um what that is adam because that's something that i know has surprised a lot of people who aren't big fans of this so you know so at the end of the movie godzilla like turns all red and basically things just start melting around him um lava godzilla everybody that's essentially what it's like it's awesome it's um that that's called burning godzilla it's actually something from the japanese films they did it a whole bunch in the uh mid 90s so that, that sounds like a mid '90s sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, it, it it is a very '90s thing. It's it's not something they've ever done since then. But yes, for about three films there, from like '92 to '95, they introduced this sort of alt mode that Godzilla has called Burning Godzilla, where basically he just heats up to the <laughs> point that he's like red hot and can just essentially destroy stuff um, through what's called like a nuclear pulse. And so it was very cool to see Dolce take that. And uh, and redo it for this 2019 film where because, yeah, at the end, I mean, Godzilla doesn't even have to, like, breathe his atomic breath at Ghidra. He basically just takes a step and there's like a, a shock wave goes out from around him and Ghidra just starts like evaporating. It's it's so badass. Looking. It, yeah. I can't be I can't be objective about that. So. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, mm. it, it's it's good stuff. Again, that was one of those like. Okay, I've never seen anything like this before. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, no, so so that post-credit scene, right, Charles Dance's character is still at large, and now he has one of Ghidra's heads. Um, I don't know what they're going to do with that. Dotary has said that that doesn't really play into anything that's going to go on with uh, Godzilla versus Kong. He put that in there really to, to set up... Um, the uh, a potential Godzilla three if they get the opportunity to do that because that has something that he wants to do. Um, I know a lot of people have been saying the 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 name Mecha King Ghidorah that's, because that's also something that's that exists where my brain in the Japanese went. films. Yeah, I think because Dance's character, it's also said several times in the film though they don't really make anything of it in this movie, they do say several times in the film that his character apparently traffics in kaiju DNA. Huh. And so I'm actually wondering if they're going to try and pull something similar to what we saw in Pacific Rim Uprising, where 
Dance is going to take the DNA from King Ghidorah and a bunch of the other monsters and try and mix them together and make a kind of like hmm. super kaiju. Because um, that that is exist. There's actually a Japanese Godzilla manga where they do that. They mix like Godzilla and Mothra and Rodan's, um, or not Rodan, Mothra, Godzilla and Ghidra's DNA together, and they make this monster called King Godzilla, which has actually never been seen anywhere but in that one manga. So I'd be interested if that was what Dodori was thinking. But he's he's he said that that's for potentially Godzilla three if they get to make <laughs> and it. And maybe so. even he doesn't know. <laughs> he's like, I don't know. Right. It seemed like a cool idea, and I'm like, well, we'll figure that out if if and when we get a chance to do that. If not, and I'm not hired, it's not my job to <laughs> to to clean up the mess. That's someone else's. He um he he has said in an interview that he did with Collider recently that he had a choice between two potential end credit sequences and he he wanted to hopefully do both of them but when it came down to it he could only do one though he said he was holding out hope that they would let him do the other one as possibly a, a bonus for like the DVD Blu-ray yeah you would think also or at least also I'm I'm, I'm here also I'm hearing it from a friend of mine who's in the the film industry who was actually at the premiere for this movie that uh, one of he talked to one of the producers and they said there's actually a much longer cut of this film. Hmm. So possibly that might end up on a DVD or Blu-ray release as well. But um, but he said the other uh, potential in credit sequence was because uh, we, we didn't really talk about this either, is that it is also revealed in the film in um, that uh, um Zhang Zi's character has a twin sister and that they are clearly supposed to be sort of the the heralds of Mothra. So, yeah. And so apparently because the the other original ending that he had was supposed to be her and her sister meeting up in uh, an undisclosed location somewhere in Japan and walking into a temple that has the same sort of architecture as the temple that we see. Godzilla living in at mm -hmm. one point in the movie, and they would have a, a egg for another Mothra in there. So, oh, okay. So yeah, um, so that was something else he wanted to do that he didn't get to at least for the theatrical cut of this film. So, hey, I you know I, there's there's a possibility, but again, I think this is something that you know while. It did okay this weekend. Didn't do fantastically well. I don't think it. I wouldn't by any means say it. You know, bombed at the box office. It did okay, I guess. Like mm -hmm. you said, only slightly behind uh, expectations there and everything. Uh, <laughs> but I think this is definitely that one that people need to go out and see. And if you have any kind of passing interest in this, if you felt like you were a little bit left let down uh, by the last Godzilla movie, well, give this one a shot. You know, I mean, because I think a lot of people. <clears throat> And I, I don't know the numbers here. Maybe you know them off the top of your head better than I do. Uh, Kong Skull Island did pretty well, right? Kong Skull Island is the one that actually, like, it, um, yeah, it overperformed what the expectations were. Legendary um, and Warner Brothers had that one kind of projected kind of low after uh, the 2014 Godzilla, and it actually exceeded what their expectations were for that film and did really well. And, and because of that, and we, you know, if we want to talk about like the future of this series, so, you know, the next film we're getting is Godzilla versus Kong. And there's no question, despite whatever this movie does in the box office this weekend, whether or not we're getting that movie, because that film's already in the can, they've shot it. It's done. Yeah. It comes out March of next year. Um, so, and I, I have a feeling that Godzilla versus Kong will probably do a lot better 
than this movie because a I I don't think it's going to have the kind of box office competition that this film has had this weekend and from the the following weeks and going into the future being uh, in in summer and also because I think that that concept of pitting Godzilla against King Kong is going to have a much wider appeal for people and um, we be- we're obviously a more Kong centric country as as <laughs> because that came from us you know right. we're the ones who birthed uh, birth Kong and everything so yeah. I, I think that we have a much more uh, uh, close relationship with King Kong that, and, and even that's kind of spurious at best. Uh, compared to compared to Godzilla because we don't have you know we've got a couple of Godzilla films uh, you know in the course of this country's history most of them not so hot yeah and and well I mean I had I had one friend who compared it to this and and you being the guy who does also like the hero movie podcast you might know how apt this this analogy is better than I do because I really don't but um you know he he was saying that he saw this as sort of comparable but in in sort of well, we don't know how Kong or Godzilla versus Kong will do, but we'll find out. But he was sort of comparing it to what like Warner Brothers previously did with their DC films, where you had Batman versus Superman, which um, he was saying did uh, better at the box office than Justice League because that was a much more clearer concept for your general sort of movie audiences, where they're like, I know who Batman is, I know who Superman is, I want to see them in a movie together. I wouldn't be versus shocked, yeah. Justice League where it was like, there's a lot of characters in there who I, I don't necessarily know who all of those are. Who's the robot guy? Who's the fish man, right? So. Yeah. And, and part, of, part of that, yeah, I think that's absolutely true. Cause, and, and that happens a lot on you know, the fact that DC just hasn't, did, they didn't do what Marvel did, which was you know, baby step, baby step, baby step, and then all of a sudden we're running. Uh, they said, right. we'd like to run first, please. And uh, and then yeah, and I think the Justice League movie didn't do as well because we didn't have those you know concrete you know pile ons just saying hey this is this is our base here's where we're at and we said oh no we want to go into everything ahead of time and yeah I, I can definitely see that being a thing compares comparable to the Godzilla movies because um, in, in a lot of ways these are basically saying. At least, for, especially for this one, is just going like, "Hey, here's what it is. Don't worry about the other stuff necessarily." Uh, I guess we don't have that Godzilla filmic vocabulary. I guess if that makes sense as a, as a country as a whole. Yeah, I, I definitely think that's part of the. I think that's true, and I think that's part of the reason why this film has has sort of underperformed to what Legendary's hopes were for it. And I think it also explains, we haven't really touched on this, but you know, as we were saying before the show got going, um, you know, like the critics have, have just savaged this movie. I mean, it's, you know, I think it's at what, like 40% or something on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, like yeah, 39 now, overall, 39, huh? <laughs> 39. 39 yeah, right. yeah, critics overall have not been kind to this film, but you know, one of the things that I'm seeing in some of the, the reviews that I've read is, you know, Either like um, like David Edelstein, who's a critic who I actually like. I read his stuff a lot. I, I generally respect his opinion on films, you know, but he said in his review for this movie that he honestly has no idea who Rodan, Mothra and King Ghidorah are, nor could he tell them apart in this film, which sounds absurd to me. But 
I suppose for someone who's really uninitiated with this stuff, maybe all of these big monsters just look the same to you. I don't know. I mean, um, maybe he could get names and stuff, but like, you know, Mothra doesn't look like anything else in this film. Yeah. It just doesn't. It's a completely different, you know, uh, granted, it's a big CGI monster. I'll, I'll give you that. Right. But it doesn't look like Godzilla. It doesn't look like Rodan. None of these things look the same. I mean, they're, so, you know, listen, I understand the names and, and, and whatnot can be confusing. Sometimes it's even confusing to me. And, I, you know, and, and I'm an okay fan. I'm not a huge fan, but I'm an okay fan. And even I sometimes go, which one is that again? But it doesn't, <laughs> you know, I don't know. That just seems like a, a, a shitty cop out. I mean, you. But I've seen, I've seen those kind of comments, and I've seen. I don't remember who the critic was for this one, but I've also seen the thing a lot where, you know, th- this movie is getting compared to, you know, um, like the the 1954 original Godzilla, and this was a this was a, a a grouse that I had back when you first had me on this show in 2014 for the first of of this series of new Godzilla films, where I was like, you know, the 1954 film is the first film. It's amazing. It's a great film. It by no means typifies what this as a franchise became. No. Mm-hmm. And it, if you're comparing this movie to that movie as a template, you're going to be way off. It's like you need to compare this movie to stuff like Giger the Three-Headed Monster or Godzilla versus Monster Zero. That's where, why they keep calling it Monster Zero, by the way. That was one of Ghidra's aliases. Or like Destroy All Monsters. This stuff from like the mid and late 1960s, that sort of really far out, pulpy, kind of, you know, not quite trippy, but get in there sort of yeah. era of Godzilla movies. Because that is absolutely what like Dotary is referencing here. He's not thinking about the 1954 film. He's thinking about those movies. So hey, look, it it seems to work for me and I, you know, <clears throat> what what's interesting is cuz we're going to have what come with with uh with Godzilla versus Kong. We're going to have like kind of four different directors here, more or less. Is that right? Is that the number? 3, 4. Cuz we um, got Godzilla 4. Yeah, well I mean four. if you can Godzilla's Gareth Edwards, Kong Skull Island was Jordan Vought Roberts yeah. and Michael Dotery, and then Godzilla versus Kong is going to be Adam Winger. Yeah, so I like it's very interesting because uh, we do have you know fair, four I think very different kinds of directors really, uh, and they all seem to be kind of in my opinion pulling it off more or less. And like I, I think if you have any passing <clears throat> interest uh, in these sorts of movies and everything, you're going to do well. You're gonna do well by 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 heading this up. I mean, uh, for God's sake, people went to see Rampage, and Rampage isn't that great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's okay, but it you was know, fun. Yeah, it's fun, but it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> like like a lot of those rock movies, I have a, I go to them. I have a lot of fun at them. Are they really good movies? Eh, could be argued. <laughs> they right. might be, but uh, I don't know. I, I'm looking forward to see what to do. And like you said, since they've already got the next one in, we we are going to see. I'm glad that we don't have to wait another five years. I thought that yeah. would have really been a quite a pain in the butt to be able to like, hey, this didn't do so well. Well, maybe we want to put this off a little bit until like they're like, no, 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 we're we're in it. No, I'll ask you this because and and again, I think you may know more about this and and the direction of which we can put these things. Let's say Charles Dance does do, uh, you know, kind of a, a Mecha Gendor sort of thing or whatever the hell, whatever he wants to do. 
right. Uh, what are the odds, and is it even a possibility, they're all owned by Legendary, could a Pacific Rim anywhere in here be able to, would Toho allow that to happen at any point, or is that just, or is that a big no-no on their list? Um, so... So what I'll say about for, for people that are listening that want to know where we're going to go after Godzilla versus Kong next year, I'm going to say that nobody knows anything right now because what we do know is that Toho is Legendary's contract with Toho expires after 2020. Oh, um, that is that is on the table. That is known. Um, and so and and the producers at Legendary have been asked. People have been asked. Apparently they have I'm, – I'm sure that they are in discussions with Toho about this, trying to figure it out. But nothing has been decided yet about where this is going to go in the future. Will we see more movies? Will they continue? Will there be you know, uh, more Pacific Rims you know, or, or any of these kinds of movies from Legendary? You know, I think that they're – you know, now, now that they're owned by Wanda Media Group, and now that Thomas Toll, who was the guy who sort of uh, spearheaded this whole MonsterVerse series, is no longer part of that company, um, you know, I think that there's probably a lot of questions about what's going to go on in the future. It it does seem very evident, however, I will say this: we, it is also very evident that Toho is eager to see this franchise continue into the future and they seem to want to do it with Hollywood. Um, they did Shin Godzilla hmm. on their own and they had a lot of success with that, but they have reopened their Hollywood offices since then. And they are apparently in the process of wheeling and dealing negotiations with various Hollywood studios. This is not the only film that they've been involved in. I don't know if you saw the detective Pikachu movie, Adam. I did and thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah. So, you know, you might have noticed Toho's name was up on the screen mm -hmm. before that movie started. They were involved with that film um, as a producer. And apparently they are also involved um, with uh, the Monster Hunter movie that comes out next year from the director of the Resident Evil films. So um, they are definitely. Well, trying you almost to become... had me there. <laughs> huh? I said you almost had me there. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, they, so they, they are clearly trying to become a more sort of uh, a, 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 a more visible presence in Hollywood um, and in their involvement with sort of Hollywood films. So I would not be surprised if we hear if not them, if not them renegotiating and continuing their contract with Legendary and moving forward as maybe sort of a more equal production partner as opposed to just sort of somebody who signs off on stuff, as I believe their relationship has largely been with these films, um, then I'm sure possibly we're going to see them brokering a deal with somebody else going forward. So, hmm. Well, uh, it, it's certainly going to be uh, an, an interesting ride. But hey, look, at least we got at least we know we've got, you know, uh, Godzilla versus Kong. Uh, coming soon, so there's something. Is that is that the um, <clears throat> is that the placement of the names Godzilla versus Kong? Yes. Or is it Kong? Yes. Okay. The the original 1962 film that Toho and Universal made um, is Kong is King Kong versus Godzilla, but they reversed it for this one, Godzilla versus Kong. So they are putting 
Godzilla first. So, okay. and, um, yeah, they, they revealed the first like official kind of like poster image and, uh, tagline actually at a marketing expo the same weekend this past weekend that this film came out. So, um, I'm I'm not sure what to think about the tagline other than the fact that I think maybe Optimus Prime wrote it because the tagline was one shall fall. So Okay, and uh, like I I'm just looking this up uh so so Millie Bobby Brown is in this one. Yes, uh apparently her Kyle Chandler and Zhang Z are slated to return in uh Godzilla versus Kong in some capacity. I'm not clear how big of a role they're going to have, if it's going to be uh, more of a, a cameo. Um, I, it seems like uh, Alexander Skarsgård, who's also in this film, is going to be taking point really as our lead character. So Yeah, you got them. Uh, Lance Riddick is in this thing. You got uh, Rebecca Hall. The uh, uh, Danny Greer's in there. So yeah, they're uh, they're getting up there, man. It's got it's got a decent looking cast, yeah. I think. So. Uh, We'll we'll at least have that to look forward to, and and who'd have thought Adam Wingard would be directing a film this big? <laughs> yeah, and it's uh it's being written by Terry Rousseau, which is um you know is the guy who's behind films like Aladdin, the original, um Shrek, and uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. But the thing that's really interesting about that was Terry Rousseau was also the writer who was originally tapped back in the early '90s to write the screenplay for the Godzilla movie that eventually became the 98 uh, Roland Emmerich debacle. And uh, the thing, of course, is that even though he is credited on that movie, uh, Emmerich and Devlin didn't use any of Russo's screenplay, which is available online. Hmm. Um, He wrote a very, very different, much more sort of traditional I'll say Godzilla movie. And so a lot of fans have always seen it as kind of one of the great um, uh, tragedies of the series that his film, uh, that he was he wrote that screenplay for John DeBont, who was the original director before Roland Emmerich, um, that that film never got made and the Emmerich one got made instead. So I imagine for Terry Rousseau, this must feel close to some kind of like redemption or second chance <laughs> to get to do another Godzilla movie. So... And actually have his screenplay used, so we'll see. <laughs> uh, but yeah, man. Uh, well, uh, so overall recommendations. What do you think? Uh, I highly recommend it. I mean, I say especially, you know, if um, I, I would say if you're a Godzilla fan, you should go see this. Um, I would say especially if you're a Godzilla fan who who loves like those 1960s, 1970s Godzilla versus fill in the blank movies where it's him fighting other monsters, you know, and it's, it's sort of heavy on action and light on story. Um, this film is definitely, uh, is definitely for you. I feel like it was made for, you know, for those fans in particular who, who really miss that kind of stuff. Um, you know, this is this is not in the vein of the 54 movie or Shin Godzilla. This is not one of your more sort of contemplative Godzilla movies. This is a, a fun uh, a thrill ride. And it sounds like the experience you had, Adam, made it even more of a ride. So, yes, it, it, it makes it literally a ride uh, <laughs> that you would, you know, you'd go to at, you know, a theme park or Universal or something like that. Uh it, it th- this is this movie is a great time. I think it's. I'm sure it'll be fun and you know regular kind of 2D and everything. But yes, absolutely. If you have a 4DX theater anywhere in your vicinity or it's within you know an hour or so uh, drive, 
just go ahead and do it because it's it's really it's a completely uh, unique and interesting experience that and, you know because we we've had Hollywood do a lot of things you know to make to people get people out to watch movies you know throughout the years everything from you know color to surround sound to 3D uh, this is another element this is a thing that you know. Even there are like D box stuff that you can do for home theater stuff, but even that's kind of limited. You can never have this experience at home. You just won't, unless you are, you know, a, a gigantic multi multi millionaire who has, you know, untold amounts of money, then you can do whatever the hell that you want. Uh, outside of that, this is the only type of experience, this is the only place you're going to have this type of experience is at the theater. And for a time, that we live in where more people are staying at home and fewer people are going out to the theaters and everything. This is a reason to get your butt in the theater and do something and have an experience that you cannot get anywhere else. Uh, so I would, I'd recommend Godzilla King of the Monsters. I'd highly recommend Godzilla King of the Monsters in 4DX. Uh, hell of an experience. And I'll be, uh, I'll be doing that every now and then for big tent pole, crazy movies and stuff like that, because, uh, uh this experience kind of, kind of made me a believer of it. So check that out, everybody. Uh, that's it. Uh, I'm going to be doing some uh, smaller uh, reviews and stuff and putting those out on the feed uh, throughout the week and everything. As I said, uh, this is me coming back and doing some actual film find stuff here. So uh, thank you guys for being patient and uh, all the time that I had off here and all that kind of good jazz. Uh, Justin, if we wanted to read some stuff of yours on the Internet, where might we find some of that? Uh, if you're interested in anything that I've written lately, so there's always my blog, um, which is on Tumblr right now, uh, Man Creates Dinosaurs. You can look that up, uh, find some stuff that I've done there. I've also recently, finally, um, finished putting together, for the most part, my Academia EDU page. Um, so if people are interested in maybe a little bit more technical kind of writing that I've done on film and pop culture, look for Justin Mullis on Academia EDU, and you can find my essays that have previously been published in various books and stuff that I've written on Star Wars, on Ultraman, um, on, uh, on other pop culture related things. And the other thing that I have to, uh, plug for, for people who just want to hear and potentially see more of me is that I will be returning uh, in July to uh, G-Fest, which is the big Godzilla convention that they have once a year in Chicago. Nice. So, And I will be there because I am going to be doing a panel. Oh. Um, so with a, a group of other guys that I'm friends with. Uh, and so what this is is um, in the 1970s, uh, Hammer Studios, the people in Britain who made all of the Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing, Dracula and Frankenstein movies, were thinking about doing a Loch Ness monster movie. Hmm. And they were going to do it with Toho as a co-production. They were going to have Toho do all the monster special effects. That movie was never made, but they got really far on it. They had four uh, scripts that they had written. They had Toho doing pre-production on storyboards, on... Uh, concept art. They had a maquette built, um, all of this kind of stuff. And it has been one of the great lost monster movies. So me and a couple other guys, we have dug up a bunch of material. We have had Japanese 
articles translated that have never been translated before with information about this film. We have been in contact with people at libraries in the UK who have access to Hammer film materials that are not generally accessible to the regular public. And we have put together um, what I think is going to be an absolutely killer presentation where this is really going to be, I would hope, uh, possibly the last word on Toho and Hammer's unmade Loch Ness monster movie. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I, I did, didn't know such a thing existed, but that sounds pretty awesome. So, uh, yeah, check that out. And that's in uh, July? That is going to be in July. Um, if you give me just one second here, I should have had this. That is going to be in July, uh, the weekend of the 12th through the 14th. I believe our panel is going to be on the 13th. So, so oh. right smack dab in the middle on Saturday. So Awesome. So if you are in the Chi-Town area, go ahead and check that out. Uh, that's it, everybody. Just uh, join me over at uh, Hero Movie Podcast. Uh, this week we're uh, talking about the uh, pilot episode of Swamp Thing that just launched on the uh, DC Universe app and all that kind of good stuff. And uh, we're going to see how that holds up. So check that out over at HeroMoviePodcast.com. That's it. Feels good to be back in this old film fine chair doing some good stuff. And Justin, I want to thank you again for uh, uh, coming on and talking, man. It's a pleasure as always. It's always great to be here. Thanks for having me back, Adam. All right, and uh, that will do it. And, uh, again, thank you to all the people that supported on Patreon. I didn't cash your money until just now uh, <laughs> because I wanted to actually produce something. You're going to be getting more and more stuff coming your way. So thank you guys so much. And uh, for Justin Moss, I'm Adam Portress. We'll see you next time.